0: introduction and chapter 1 of the wife of the secretary of state this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by rebecca case the wife of the secretary of state by ella middleton typeout to my mother introduction the Wife of the Secretary of State is constructed upon the possibilities of life in general and of the diplomatic world in particular. It is not intended to portray any especial administration. Ella Middleton typeout. Chapter 1. It needs, said the senator critically, a trifle more red pepper. But pray be careful, added monsieur de anxiously, a grain too much would be fatal ah gently very gently are you familiar enough with washington to know the alibi club perhaps in walking down i street near eighteenth you have passed the little red brick house with its black iron railing and many paned windows without even glancing at the shining brass plate where the one word alibi speaks volumes to the initiated but then again PERHAPS YOU HAVE PENETRATED THROUGH THE NARROW DOORWAY INTO THE GRILL ROOMS BEYOND. PERHAPS YOU HAVE BEEN INTRODUCED TO THE ARMY OF CHAFING DISHES, WHICH DO SUCH UNTIRING AND VALIANT NIGHTLY SERVICE DURING THE SEASON, AND HAVE EVEN TASTED THE CONTENTS OF SOME OF THEM. IF SO, YOU ARE VERY FORTUNATE, AND FURTHER COMMENT IS UNNECESSARY. SENATOR BYRD WAS GIVING A LITTLE SUPPER AFTER THE THEATER, AND, IN ACCORDANCE WITH THE RULES OF THE CLUB, he was cooking it himself his three guests wore an air of pleased anticipation for his skill in the manipulation of the chafing-dish made him an acknowledged authority even at the alibi where the bon vivants of washington are wont to assemble for nightly gastronomic contests senator byrd was a leader of his party and his opinions were accorded due deference even by the opposition but no political crisis received closer attention from him than a Welsh rarebit which threatened to become stringy, or a mayonnaise which showed a disposition to separate into unattractive oily globules. M. Dupre watched the descent of the red pepper breathlessly, and gave vent to a sigh of relief as the crucial moment passed safely. "'By the way,' he remarked, addressing no one in particular, "'Did you observe Miss Powell to-night?' she really should not wear green under the circumstances why not inquired mr rivers member of congress from virginia idly because of the old adage replied the little attaché with a chuckle green is forsaken yellow's forlorn you remember it after her affair with von werton she should be careful of these little things Monsieur Dupre enjoyed the reputation of being the most insatiable as well as the most harmless gossip in Washington. He was also endowed with an inordinate curiosity. Indeed, his acquaintances regarded him as a walking interrogation point, and were wont to assert that his mustache curled upward solely to investigate the shape of his nose, while that appendage, in turn, was continually striving to ascertain the color of his eyes. "'Was Von Wharton's engagement really such a blow to Miss Powell?' asked Mr. Rivers curiously. "'Oh, my dear fellow,' returned the Frenchman eagerly, "'did you not know? The poor lady! She had every reason to hope. He sought her constantly. Bonbons, roses, and all the delicate environments of an affaire de coeur were hers for many weeks. She herself bloomed like a flower, grew young again, yes, positively girlish, then, suddenly, what happened? Mrs. Irving announced the engagement of her daughter to Baron Von Wharton of the German Embassy. Conceive the shock." "'Very shabby, in Von Wharton,' said Mr. Rivers, laughing. And then," continued Monsieur Dupre pathetically, the flower drooped. The girl grew all at once old and ugly. "'Is it not pitiful? I have watched her closely—most respectfully, of course—but closely. Day by day she has faded, until— Upon my word, interrupted Senator Byrd, I feel as though I had attended her obsequies. Will she be a second Elaine Dupree and go floating down the Potomac some fine day? As I said, continued Monsieur Dupree volubly, I watched her fade until at last I saw a subtle change. She revived. She lived once more— by a never-failing sign she now demonstrates her intention to cast aside the willow. She again powders her nose. Senator Byrd turned to the man on his right, as the laugh which followed Monsieur Dupre's last mark died away. "'Count Vladimir,' he said courteously, "'I hope you like terrapin. These are especially fine diamondbacks, and I particularly plumb myself upon my recipe for cooking them. They are a distinctively American food, I believe,' Therefore I have asked my friends from other countries to eat them. I was fortunate to secure you at such short notice. The good fortune is wholly mine, replied the Count politely. Although he had but lately joined the Russian embassy, Count Vladimir was already a popular member of the diplomatic corps, and greatly in demand at all social functions. More than one damsel was known to watch ballroom doorways anxiously until he appeared, and he was pronounced... So polished, my dear, so fascinatingly indifferent, and so irresistibly handsome, don't you know? Count Vladimir's polish suggested the flash of steel to his associates in the world of diplomacy, and his handsome face did not disguise the fact that his eyes, set very close together, were stone-gray in color and curiously keen and cold in expression. It was well known by the initiated that when an international crisis appeared inevitable, his duty generally called him to the seat of the trouble, and detained him there until matters adjusted themselves. Therefore his sudden appearance in Washington was regarded as worthy of comment. "'Ah!' exclaimed M. Dupre, as he tasted the terrapin. "'Is it not a dream, a poem?' "'Confess, Count Vladimir, you have nothing in your country which compares with it.' "'In many ways,' said Count Vladimir slowly. Russia cannot aspire to compete with America, in its women, for example. You are complimentary, Count, said Senator Byrd quietly. As a nation we should feel flattered. Monsieur Dupre raised his glass. To the American girl in general, he cried enthusiastically, but especially to the most charming woman in Washington, Mrs. Redmond. Gentlemen, Mrs. Redmond. "To mrs Redmond!" repeated Count Vladimir, as they responded to the toast. "By all means, to mrs Redmond, the wife of the Secretary of State." He drained his glass absently, and replaced it upon the edge of the table, where it balanced for a moment and fell to the floor. "A thousand pardons!" he exclaimed, contritely; "I am stupid to night; I fear it is broken." "It perished in a good cause," said mr Rivers lightly. I was more than half disposed to send mine after it. "'Yes, did it not?' said M. Dupre. "'I, too, had the same inclination. All women are, of course, attractive in some way. Some one feature, for instance. But Mrs. Redmond is so altogether lovely.' He paused, in doubt for the proper word, and waved his empty glass comprehensively. An even greater air of festivity than usual prevailed in the grill-rooms. Jolly little parties of three and four filled the tables and tried their skill in cooking as they matched stories. Laughter was genuine and spontaneous, for which sparkled as brightly as a champagne, and the stories were as highly seasoned as the food. Whatever sensations one might experience at the alibi, one was rarely bored. The quick trot of a horse and the sound of swiftly rolling wheels became audible above the general hum of conversation their sudden cessation and the hasty slam of a carriage door announced the arrival of a belated guest yes said mr rivers discursively almost every one comes here sooner or later over there in the corner making welsh rarebit is judge tucker of the supreme court that little man cooking lobster a la newberg is the editor of the washington post THAT IS THE SPEAKER OF THE HOUSE DISPENSING MUSHROOMS, AND, AND, INTERRUPTED M. DUPRE SUDDENLY, HERE COMES THE SECRETARY OF STATE. SENATOR BYRD EXCHANGED A QUICK GLANCE WITH MR. RIVERS. THE SECRETARY DID NOT, AS A RULE, FREQUENT THE ALIBI. Moreover, AS THEY BOTH KNEW, HE HAD BEEN ENGAGED TO DINE AT THE WHITE HOUSE THAT EVENING, AND IT WAS HIS INVARIABLE CUSTOM TO GO DIRECTLY HOME FROM ALL DINNERS, no matter how early their conclusion, and the night had now grown very old indeed. "'As I was saying,' resumed Mr. Rivers, addressing Count Vladimir, "'every one drifts in here at one time or another.' "'Yes?' said the Russian politely. The Secretary of State stood in the doorway and glanced anxiously about the room. His tall, spare figure had a commanding air in spite of the droop of his shoulders, which proclaimed the scholar rather than the politician, while his long slender hands betrayed his peculiarly nervous organization. They were very restless hands, continually busy over something, even though it were only tearing bits of paper into strips or folding creases in his handkerchief. Just now, however, they were so tightly clenched that the knuckles looked white and prominent and the veins stood out like purple cords. "'Senator Byrd laid down his fork. "'If you will excuse me,' he remarked hastily, "'I will go and speak to the secretary. "'Perhaps I can induce him to join us.' "'He threaded his way across the room, "'and the three men watched him silently. "'They observed the secretary's relieved start "'and his quick remark, evidently an interrogation. "'Also Senator Byrd's emphatic reply, "'apparently in the negative,' and then they saw the secretary speak earnestly for a moment, and withdraw. A sudden quiet had descended upon the alibi. Here and there parties were dispersing, leaving empty tables with their usual unattractive debris in place of the glitter of plates and glass, and the cheerful murmur of voices of an hour previous. Monsieur Dupre looked at his watch. "'So late!' he exclaimed in astonishment. "'I too must be going.' He glanced expectantly at Count Vladimir, who also expressed surprise at the hour, and as Senator Byrd returned the two attachés rose and, in spite of his protestations, took their leave. Mr. Rivers was about to join them, but delayed a moment in response to a slight touch upon his shoulder. "'The secretary is outside in his carriage,' said Senator Byrd quickly. "'He wishes us to go home with him. There is something wrong at the department.' THE SECRETARY'S COACHMAN COMPLIED WILLINGLY WITH THE BRIEF COMMAND, HOME, DRIVE QUICKLY, AND DEPOSITED HIS PASSENGERS BENEATH THE PORTECACHURE OF A HANDSOME STONE HOUSE IN SHORT ORDER. SECRETARY REDMOND LED THE WAY AT ONCE TO THE LIBRARY, WHERE THE FIRE STILL GLOWED RED AND INVITING. WHILE CAREFULLY SHADED LAMPS CAST A SOFT LIGHT VERY PLEASING TO THE EYE. GENTLEMEN, HE SAID ABRUPTLY AS HE CLOSED THE DOOR, THE Ruschuk PAPERS HAVE BEEN STOLEN. Let us discuss the matter in all its bearings," suggested Senator Byrd, breaking the long pause which succeeded the secretary's announcement. "'There may be some mistake.' "'There is no mistake,' returned Mr. Redmond positively. "'Yesterday I took them to the White House, and went over the matter with the President. You were both present at the interview.' Mr. Rivers nodded. "'Well?' he said interrogatively. "'To-day a cabinet meeting,' resumed the secretary the subject came up again and i made an appointment with the president for tomorrow i was to take over the papers once more also the plans for the outer events of the new york harbor i borrowed the latter from the secretary of war he sent them to my office by a messenger and my private secretary received and receipted for them they were given in great detail tonight i dined at the white house informally and the president again referred to the matter it is of course uppermost in his mind just now i volunteered to get all the papers from the department without waiting for tomorrow the safe was locked as usual also my desk the papers were gone somewhere outside a man whistled shrilly and a dog responded with a quick yelp of recognition when i found them gone resumed the secretary slowly i remember that you had called bird while i was absent this afternoon i thought you might have borrowed them it was not probable of course but it was possible not even possible interrupted senator bird so i followed you to the alibi continued the secretary the importance of the matter is my excuse an international upheaval is imminent france england and russia are vitally interested in our policy a representative of each of those countries has called at the department today on one pretext or another the secretary paused and moistened his lips his fingers tapped the arm of his chair uneasily you have the facts of the case he said wearily the Ruschuk papers are missing and with them the plan of defence of our principal seaport an hour later the senator and member of congress stood on the street corner and exchanged a few words before they separated. Over the city hung the mantle of intense silence which descends about three o'clock and remains until the break of day. The moon was setting, shining red and crooked through the fog, a piece lacking from one side proclaiming it was on the wane. It appeared somewhat as though the moon had made a night of it, and would better retire as speedily as possible. Mr. Rivers shivered and turned up his coat-collar, for the wind was cold and penetrating. "'It looks,' he remarked, as he lighted his cigar, "'uncommonly black for the private secretary. "'I do not agree with you,' returned Senator Byrd thoughtfully. "'But then one never knows. Good night.' And the two men walked quickly away in opposite directions. The Secretary of State leaned his head against the back of his chair and closed his eyes. His face was grey with fatigue, and the lines about his mouth pronounced and accentuated. He was undoubtedly very tired, so tired he did not hear the handle of the door turn softly, as though in response to a light touch, nor did he see it swing noiselessly open and a figure pause upon the threshold-a woman. She stood uncertainly for a moment one hand upon the knob of the door while the other held together a white dressing-gown whose soft clinging folds emphasized rather than concealed a form which would have given a sculptor keen delight her thick dark hair simply braided for the night hung far below her waist while little trendles curled loosely about her ears and across her forehead her eyes possessed the rare quality of changing with her moods Just now they were widely opened under their black lashes and deeply purple, like the lustrous heart of a pansy. And her breath came quickly between softly parted red lips—a woman to remember. She crossed the room swiftly, her slippered feet making no sound upon the thick rug, and put her hand tentatively upon the secretary's forehead. "'Estelle!' he exclaimed, suddenly opening his eyes you here?' "'Oh,' she returned, with a little laugh, which was half a sob, "'I couldn't help coming, John. I thought something dreadful had happened. "'What could happen to me, here in my own house?' "'I don't know,' she replied slowly. "'One reads of terrible things. I lay there listening for your footsteps, and imagining I might never hear it again. Until at last—' You are cold and trembling, Estelle, interrupted the secretary, drawing her closer. This will never do. I was detained by business, dear, a troublesome matter at the department. Mrs. Redmond knelt on the tiger-skin rug and held her pink-tinted palms towards the fire. I hate business, she said petulantly, and I hate the old department, too. It takes you away from me, and I am jealous of it. The secretary smiled and passed his hand caressingly over her hair. "'You are losing your beauty sleep, my dear,' he remarked fondly. "'Tomorrow you will be pale and languid, and it will be my fault.' Mrs. Redmond settled herself into a comfortable bunch upon the rug and leaned her head against her husband's knee. The flowing sleeve of her gown fell back, displaying her white rounded arm with its delicate tracery of blue veins. "'and the secretary stooped and pressed his lips against it. "'Truly, Monsieur Dupre was correct in his statement. "'Mrs. Redmond was altogether lovely. "'I'm going to bask in the firelight,' she said quietly, "'while you tell me about your bothersome business. "'I like to share your thoughts, you know, "'even if they are not pleasant. "'Tell me about it, dear.' "'So he told her the story of the lost papers, "'and she listened silently.' Giving the hand she held an occasional sympathetic pressure and following his words closely. And the secretary felt vaguely reassured. The matter seemed much less serious and imperative, considered with his young wife's head against his knee and her two soft, warm hands holding his closely, than it did when he followed Senator Byrd to the alibi. So the worn look gradually faded from his face and a new light shone in his eyes as they sat for some minutes in that unbroken and blissful silence only possible to kindred spirits. After a while Mrs. Redmond stirred a little. "'We are very happy, John, aren't we?' she said dreamily. "'Happy in each other, dear,' he responded gently. "'Happy in each other,' she repeated softly. "'And after all, does anything else matter?' The fire had grown gray and ashy, and she shivered slightly. "'I love these unexpected little talks we have now and then,' she said brightly. "'They seem like stolen pleasures somehow. "'But you are so tired to-night, poor dear. "'Put out the lights and go to bed. "'It must be almost morning. "'You must hold my hand, though, for I am afraid of the dark to-night, "'and of several other things, so hold it very tightly, John.'" End of Chapter 1